Welcome to the audio podcast of The Father's House. We hope and pray that you are both challenged and encouraged by this time in the Word. If you don't know me, my name is Rich, and my wife Hillary and I are the directors for Leadership College here at The Father's House. There's some of our students. They're amazing. Uh, my wife is actually traveling today. I never thought that we would be the couple that says this. I'm speaking somewhere and she's speaking somewhere else, but the day has come. Here we are. Uh, she's in Washington today because she's going to be speaking at a women's night tonight at one of our TFH network churches, so that's pretty cool. She was up at 4.30 this morning, which means I've been up since 4.30 this morning. <laughs> so thank you for your grace with me. Uh, I am taking care of all three of our small children and my... Thank you. Yeah, I see dads clapping right now. (laughs) That's all the dads in the room. And what I was about to say is I am missing and appreciating my wife with every passing hour (laughs) because of that. Well, we're in a series about Advent, and Advent is all about preparing for the arrival of Jesus. Because when Jesus arrives in our lives, he brings hope, he brings peace, he brings love and joy in a way that only he can. And as Pastor Dave mentioned last week, Pastor Miles talked about hope. How many of you guys were here for that message? Wasn't that amazing? So powerful. He's, so, he's funny. He's brilliant with the, his insight and scriptures. And the guy sings in Hebrew. So, you know. I'm not going to do that today. I'm not. Shalom. That's what he ends with. There you go. I am so sorry if that's offensive and I didn't realize it. I'm an ignorant Gentile. Don't hold it against me. I love Pastor Miles. He's amazing. Uh, If you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, please go out and do so. It was very powerful. He talked about hope. Today, I'm going to be talking about peace and specifically preparing our lives for the peace that the person of Jesus wants to bring into our lives. Now, if you take a look at the landscape of the world around us today, I think you might agree with me in saying that peace can be kind of hard to find. We've got social unrest, we've got mass shootings, we've got nations going to war with each other and threatening to go to war with each other, we've got supply shortages, we've got financial burdens. There's a lot out there. Yeah, even as I'm saying this, you're like, stop, this is about peace. Don't remind me of this stuff. I know. I read a statistic from the CDC. It was a 2020 statistic, and 2020 was definitely an outlier year for sure, but it's still eye-opening. In 2020, in America alone, there were 1.8 million recorded suicide attempts. 1.8 million recorded suicide attempts in one year alone in America. I think it's safe to say we could all use a little bit of peace right now. But what is peace? There's so many ideas and definitions out there for what peace is. Is it unbroken tranquility? Is it ceasefire from war? Is it a lovely country meadow with deer frolicking through? What is peace? The Bible gives us a word in Hebrew. I'm not going to sing it, but I am going to tell you one of these words. Actually, this is the word that I just sang. Shalom. I'm not going to do it again. Okay, it's shalom. The word is shalom. And uh, this is a word of great depth and great meaning, and I certainly can't do it full justice in the couple of minutes that we have today, but at its core, it means peace, it means tranquility, it means friendship and safety and health and completeness and wholeness, and oh, there you go. 
There's another definition for it right there. That's the one I was just about to tell you. This is a simplified definition, one that you may have seen us use around here before. Perfect peace, lacking nothing. It's a general definition, but I think it's pretty effective for what the word means. Perfect peace, lacking nothing. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sounds almost too good to be true. But I'm here to tell you today that it's possible for your life. And not only is it possible for your life, it's the heart of God for you. And so today we're going to look at this concept of peace in the Bible. And as we explore the idea of peace in the Bible, here's the big idea that we're going to find. Peace is a person. It's not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Jesus in our lives. So for the next couple of minutes, what we're going to talk about is preparing space in our lives for the person of Jesus to bring his peace into our lives. And the first point here, if you're taking notes, Jesus is the peace of God. That is, peace for the here and now. Isaiah 9, 6, this is a verse that we read oftentimes around Christmas time. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Would you read the bold with me? Prince of Peace. Yeah. I think it's interesting to note that the Bible does not call Jesus the sales rep of peace doesn't call Jesus the VP of peace or the assistant to the regional manager of peace. <laughs> Jesus is the prince of peace. And that means that his authority on the matter is final. It's not temporary. It's not conditional. It's not limited. Your circumstances do not get to decide the peace level in your life. The devil does not get to decide the peace level in your life. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is the highest authority and the final word on you experiencing perfect peace, lacking nothing. But here's the thing. He's the Prince, and we're not. So we don't get to make demands of him of how we experience his peace on our terms. We do them on his terms. And what this means is acknowledging his authority, acknowledging his godness in our lives, and making space for those things, making space for his presence, and by extension, his peace in our lives. And this is actually very practical in execution. I'm going to give you a couple of practical ways from the word that we can do this. First way is this. Make space for him in your schedule. Make space for him in your schedule. When you make space in your day to intentionally meet with God. You just set aside time to, to pray, to read your Bible, to worship him. You are carving out space in your day, not only for his presence, but to experience his peace in your life because peace is not a thing, it's a person. It's his presence. So when you make space for him, you make space for his peace in your life. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. When we make time in our day for focused prayer and thanksgiving, we are making time for his peace. And I think this is important for every believer to do, honestly, on a daily basis. I think it's important that we recalibrate our spirits and our minds to remind ourselves of who God is, who we are in relationship to him, and what that means for our daily life. Let's not forget that our God is the king of kings. He's the God over all the universe. He, he, nothing is too powerful for him. Nothing is too great for him. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's not afraid of anything. He's stronger than everything. When we come back to that mentality, it's easy to go, okay, 
I don't really need to worry about these things because my God's in charge. I don't know about you guys. You probably don't do this, but I do this. As a modern-day American, I can start to kind of slip into this mentality that everything is about me. (laughs) I start seeing myself kind of as the main character on the stage of the theater of life. And that's just not reality. (laughs) It's not reality. Everything is not about me. Something we do, I think, sometimes as modern believers is we start to kind of, maybe subconsciously, treat God like he's some distant star in a galaxy that revolves around us. But in all reality, it's the other way around. He's the center of everything, and everything about our lives should revolve around him. And so making time in your schedule every day to come back to that place is actually very healthy and very important. And this can be as simple as on your drive to work or maybe for a couple minutes in the morning by the bedside, wherever it is for you, five, 10 minutes is all it takes to come back to this place of Jesus, this life is all about you and I'm making space for you in my day right now. And when you do that, his promise is that you'll experience his peace, okay? Next one is this, make space for him in your interactions with others. Colossians 3, 13 through 15 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, about a year and a half, two years ago, uh, I was at the gym with my friend Dan McElroy. Dan, are you here this service? No, he might be here next service. He's not going to like this story when I tell it. (laughs) We were at the gym together, and we were working out arms, and we were towards the beginning of our workout, and we're doing the, you guys, if you ever seen the the tricep pull-down thing, the little rope that you like, (laughs) that thing? So we're doing that, and this is the first exercise of the day, so we're kind of as we're doing this, we're looking at the rest of the gym and kind of mapping out where we want to go next because we got a plan. And uh, as, as I finish up my set, Dan goes into his, and I walk over to the machine that we want to use next. It's a cable curl machine. And I come over to the cable curl machine, and there's a guy kind of floating by it. Now, if you've ever been to the gym, you may have noticed this before. People float by equipment sometimes. And what floating means is they're not using it, but they are the person closest to it, So it creates a little bit of confusion there because like your towel's on the machine, but you're two feet away on Instagram, so I'm not really sure what the vibe is right now. So I just went up to just seek a little clarity in the matter, and I was just being as gracious as possible. I come up and I go, hey, are you using this machine? Because if you are, that's totally cool. My buddy and I were going to use it, but if you're still on it, we can go do a couple other things. We'll come back when you're done. Guy doesn't acknowledge me at all. (laughs) Doesn't look at me, doesn't speak to me, just puts his phone back in his pocket, picks it up, starts doing curls, and then turns and makes dead eye contact with me, (laughs) holds it, and then goes back to it. I did not like that very much. (laughs) I try to be a pretty gracious person when I can, but I'm only human. I believe in common courtesy, so, you know, my blood's pumping, we're working out, I'm probably listening to heavy music at the time, I'm not thinking clearly, so I know this is wrong, I know I'm a pastor, I know I shouldn't have done this, I already know, okay? But I thought, oh, you're going to be passive-aggressive to me, how about I do it right back to you? And what I say to him is, or just don't acknowledge me at all, 
That's cool. And I turn around, I go back to my tricep pull-downs with indignation. Can't believe that guy was so rude to me. Jerk. So I'm in the middle of my set now. He finishes his set and now walks over to me. And at this moment, I'm thinking, I wish I was a little more passive and a little less aggressive. Also, he's more fit than I thought he was when I said that, and I hope I could take him if it came to that. Also, I'm a pastor in this town, and I shouldn't be starting fights in the gym. So, so I'm bracing myself. I have no idea what's about to happen, but I'm just bracing myself for whatever he's going to say. But I did not expect what he ended up saying. Here's what he did. He came up and he said, I'm deaf. I wish I was joking about this. This actually happened. He goes, I'm deaf. I can read lips, but I need to be looking directly at someone when they're talking to me, and then I can, I can read their lips. Yeah. Yeah. So all of my bravado and aggression immediately turned to regret and self-loathing and shame. I'm like, oh, you are the worst person on the planet. Of all the bad, mean, offensive people, Rich Harris, you are at the top of the list. How could you do this? You're an idiot. And I'm just like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm shocked. I'm reeling. I'm confused. All I know is don't make this worse than you've already made it. So what comes out of my mouth, (laughs) I'm not thinking, what comes out of my mouth is, oh, are you using the machine? (laughs) That... When I told my wife this story when I got home from the gym that day, my gracious, sweet, compassionate wife, she started hitting me. She's like, I can't believe you did that. I've taught you better. I'm like, I know, I'm the worst. So it was not, there's a lot of moments in my life that I'm ashamed of. This is easily top three, okay? Of course I went over and I apologized to him. Honestly, I I really don't know if he knew what I said because he wasn't looking at me when I initially made my passive-aggressive remark but I just knew I need to apologize. So I came up to him. He was very kind, very gracious to me. I was so grateful for that. His name's Matt. He's an electrician. We kicked it off because my dad's a career electrician, so it was good. What started off as me being insulting and passive-aggressive, because of his grace with me, it blossomed into a very real friendship, okay? So um, what I learned that day, though, is if it is possible, as far as it depends on me, I should live at peace with everyone. Because <laughs> if I don't, I'll probably say something dumb and regret it. Okay, we've talked about my embarrassing moment. Let's talk about your life. <laughs> Are you someone that is generally considered to be a peaceable person? If I asked the people close to you, if I asked your spouse or your kids or your friends, if you are generally a peaceable person, yeah, we're all humans, we, you know, we all have our moments, what would they say? Outside of this room, when you're out and about in the world, do your interactions with other people reveal Jesus to them? (laughs) Sorry, got a little personal. Here's my point. If we cannot extend peace to other people, we can't expect to receive it from God. But the moment that we make the decision that we're going to live, with, live in peace with other people, even if they're not trying to do the same, we make ourselves recipients of the peace of God, okay? Next one is this. Make space for him in your thought life. 
Isaiah 26.3. We're going to keep this verse up for a minute uh, when we get to Isaiah 26.3 because I want to look at a couple of these words. It says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Now, the Hebrew word for thoughts here, it means thoughts, but it means more than just thoughts, as Hebrew words often do. There's a lot of meaning here. It means our form and the framework of who we are. And the word for fixed means more than fixed. It means to lean on or to lay on. It's literally this picture of the weightiness and the heaviness of our thoughts being propped up by God. So get this picture. As you're going about life and the job and the finances and all of the craziness out there, the news starts making you feel overwhelmed and anxious and stressed out and you're feeling weighed down by the burdens of life. God says you can lay those troubles upon him and when you do that, he will hold you in perfect peace. Don't let your thoughts dictate your peace level. Let God dictate your peace level by submitting those thoughts to his authority. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the word of God made flesh. What that means is Jesus, the prince of peace, is your Bible. So when you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling stressed out, go to the prince of peace. Go to the word. Read it. Listen to it. Let it wash over your mind. Meditate on it. Memorize it. And as things start to crop up in your life, and as the burdens and the troubles and the stresses and the anxieties of life weigh down on you, start speaking out those verses. You will keep in perfect peace those whose thoughts are fixed on you, God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means I have all that I need when you are with me. Thank you, Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You start reciting scripture. That is the prince of peace welling up within you. And his peace begins to trump all of those stresses and those anxieties and those pressures. And you'll find that instead of running to entertainment or hobbies or alcohol or whatever else you usually run to to take care of those stresses, when you anchor and ground those things in him, he will hold you in the perfect peace that those other things could never give to you. Okay? Our schedules, our interactions with others, and our thoughts, when we make peace and when we make place for his presence, when we prepare a space for him in these areas, his promise is that we will experience his peace through the presence of Jesus. Now, maybe you're here and you are not a Christ follower. You're someone who maybe this is your first time here. Maybe somebody drug you here. Thanks for being here. I just want to say we're really glad that you're here. We're honored that you would join us. And my hope and my prayer for you today is that you will experience the very real power of the very real living God. He has a heart for you. Uh, He wants you to experience his presence and his peace. And in fact, today, this next point is for you specifically. If you have not given your life to Jesus, there is a very specific kind of peace that he wants to bring to your life. Jesus is our peace with God. And actually, can I have Nate come up on the keys with me real quick? Everybody give it up for Nate. He's handsome and talented. He's married though, so. Jesus is our peace with God. Peace not only for the here and now, but peace for eternity. Here's what I know about you. You are more than just a body. You are a three-part being. You are body, soul, and spirit. Your body, you've lived in it for a while. You're familiar enough with your body. Your soul is something that we, we just talked about a little bit in the last couple minutes. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your spirit is what I want to talk about now. 
When it comes to your spirit, I've got kind of a good news sandwich for you, okay? I've got some good news. I've got some pretty bad news. But if you stick it out through the bad news, I've got the best news ever, okay? So you guys, let's just go on this journey together. When it comes to your spirit, the good news is this. Your spirit is eternal. When your body dies, your spirit lives on. So if this is your first time hearing this, congratulations, you're immortal. (laughs) That's great. The bad news is, When you were born into this body, you were born directly into a very real conflict. And that conflict is between the armies of the living God and the powers of darkness. And it's a conflict that we can't see with our eyes, we can't always sense with our five senses, but we can feel the effects of it. Even if we don't know how to articulate it, even if we don't know that that's what it is, often it's in our soul that we feel this battle between wickedness and righteousness, this battle for our spirit. We're born directly into this conflict, and we know how the conflict ends according to the word of God. Jesus crushes Satan under his feet, and he wins. But for the time being, this conflict is still being played out, and humanity is in the middle of it. And this traces all the way back to the very first human that God ever created, whose name was Adam. In Romans 5.12, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. That means that when Adam sinned, because we came from Adam, his sin nature was then transferred to us. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, we may not have asked to be a part of this, but we were born into this conflict, and unfortunately, we were born into the wrong side. If we were born sinful, here's what that means. Sin is always opposed to God. Sin is always the enemy of God. And if we're born sinful, there is nothing that we can do to become sinless. No amount of good works, no amount of good thinking, no amount of charity or generosity or, you know, personal growth, none of that can translate to righteousness. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. The good deeds we accomplish in this life can never translate to righteousness because sin has disqualified us from the start. But sin does more than just make us dirty. Sin separates us from God. And that separation from God, there is an eventual result that takes place because of that. Romans 6:23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Now let me be very clear here. This is not only speaking of physical death, this is speaking of spiritual death. The Bible tells us that there is a very real heaven, there is a very real hell, and every human that is born will one day go to one of those two. There is no third option. So to sum it all up for us, We're born sinful, enemies of God, destined to die, and live in an eternity apart from him and eventually die a spiritual death as well. This too does not make me feel peaceful. What is all of this about? What does any of this have to do with peace? This has everything to do with peace. Because the first step in living in perfect peace, lacking nothing, is understanding that it is absolutely impossible to do so apart from Jesus. I gave you some bad news. You you hung through it. So here's the best news ever. God loves you. God doesn't want you to be separated from him. 
He doesn't want there to be distance. He wants to be in every detail of your life. He wants to show you his goodness and his kindness and his mercy. He wants to give you a hope and a future. He wants to give you joy. He doesn't want you to die in your sin. He doesn't want you to walk through this life buried down by all of the stress and the anxiety and the addictions and the shame and the guilt from the things that you've done. He doesn't want you to live as a victim of the curse of sickness and death of sin on your life. But here's the thing, he knows that you can't get out of that situation by yourself. So he took matters into his own hands. John 3:16, a verse we all know well. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus went to the cross. God sent Jesus to be born as a baby, to grow up and die as a man on behalf of the sins of humanity. He took the nails. He took the spear in his side. He took the crown of thorns. He took the mockery and the shame from people. But more than that, he became our sin and he took the wrath of God on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to. He died so that we could live. Romans 5.8 says this, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies from God, while we were still separated from him. But therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what it's all about. All 66 books of the Bible point to this moment where God became man to die on our behalf so that we could live with him forever. Your background, it's, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your sin record is. It doesn't matter the bad things you've done doesn't matter the good things you haven't done. doesn't matter the shame that you feel. Jesus came and died for you, and there's nothing that you could have done to save yourself. Your own righteousness couldn't have saved you. It's only by the blood of Jesus, and he gave it willingly because he loves you, because you're his son, you're his daughter. Even though you're away from him, he loves you enough to come to this planet. He's the king of kings. He's the king of glory, and he would humble himself and come into a manger and grow up among us and walk among us and bear our iniquities and bear our burdens and die on our behalf because he loves you that much he loves you that much and you are not too far gone this whole room is filled with people who came to Jesus broken and filthy in our sin we came to him and we were addicted. We came and we were violent and depraved and depressed and suicidal and insecure and anxious. All of those things. We had done terrible things. We had hurt people. And you know what? We came to Jesus. He forgave us. He saved us. He purified us. He cleansed us with his blood. He set us free. He gave us a hope and a future. He gave us a family that we're now a part of. And now he gave us a hope that we live in eternity with him forever. You are not too far gone. For more information on our church and other teaching resources, log on to our website at tfh.org or call our office at 707-455-7790.